vengeance is mine. That's what I thought to myself as I stood over a middle school bully in the gymnasium at Bowen Rock Elementary School. You see, I moved here from Lenore, North Carolina and entered into the sixth grade at Blowing Rock. And sometimes the new kid can be an easy target for those who lack self-esteem. I was an easygoing, friendly kid. I got along with everyone and really had no enemies. But there was one boy in my class who absolutely hated my guts. Now, I played on the middle school basketball team, started in my seventh grade year, and I was the backup point guard coming off the bench, and that seemed to bother him. But what I think bothered him even more than that was that I had befriended his best friend, and it seemed to him that I was taking his place and somehow being a threat to him. He was jealous of me, but I wasn't trying to become the new best friend. I was just trying to be friendly with everyone that I was in class with. Nonetheless, he made it his mission to call me a name or try to embarrass me in front of the whole class whenever he got the opportunity. Everyone knew he was a jerk, and they mostly ignored him. And truth be told, I mostly ignored him too for almost two full school years until one day during our physical education class. You see, during that class, we were playing a basketball game together during our free time, and he happened to be guarding me, and I drove right past him, and I scored a basket. We were playing make it, take it, which means that if you score, you get the ball back. And so I was supposed to get the ball back, and when I turned around to get the ball back, I got it back because he reared back as hard as he could, and he threw that ball square at my face. And it busted my nose. I was bleeding. My eyes were watering. My face hurt. And I was not happy. And when I looked up, he was hunched over laughing and pointing at me, at least for a moment. In that moment, I was filled with anger and rage. And everything that had been pent up inside of me finally lashed out out. And so I drew back and I punched him square in the nose and he fell flat on his back on the gymnasium floor. And as he lay there, blood was gushing out of his nose and his braces had cut his lips open. So his lips were bleeding and everyone in the gym stood there in silence and in shock at what I had done to him as he laid there crying uncontrollably. I knew that I would get in trouble, but I didn't care. He started it, and I finished it. Vengeance was mine. And you know, he never said a harsh word to me ever again. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not sure if you've experienced anything like I did in middle school, but I think that all of us can agree that we really like vengeance. In our heart of hearts, we want justice to be served when something or someone has been wronged. I mean, if you think about it, all the movies that we watch, to a large degree, have something to do with good versus evil or wrongs being made right. All of the Marvel comic movies, for instance, focus on characters who suffer unjustly from an evil opponent. And in vengeance, they fight back to make things right again. 
If you're familiar with the book series Harry Potter and the movies that followed from them, this whole series is about good wizards fighting an evil wizard who seeks power and control by fear. Most of our action and drama movies are oriented by wrongs that need to be made right and someone or several others who fight back against those wrongs. Vengeance. Revenge is something that whether we acknowledge it or not, It's something that we eagerly desire. And sometimes we even choose to take justice into our own hands. And so today I stand here before you and I justify my middle school fight with our passage of Scripture from Exodus. It reads, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That bully got what he deserved. Blow to the face for blow to the face. However, that argument didn't work out so well with my teachers when I had to deal with the matter afterwards. You see, this summer we have been looking together at different passages of Scripture that are often misused or misunderstood, often taken out of their context. And today, our scripture passage is on vengeance. And it's based on the laws given by God to the people of Israel who have been freed from slavery in Egypt. God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, but those weren't the only laws that God gave them. He gave them more laws that helped instruct them on how they were to live rightly together. Now, it would be very easy to justify my own actions based on this verse alone. I mean, God gave this law in the context of personal injuries that could and would take place between the people of God. God knew that there would be fights amongst his people and that there needed to be laws or guardrails, so to speak, that would keep everyone in between the lines. And so this law is set in the context of an intentional and unintentional actions that hurt members of the community. However, God's law is not intended to provoke revenge. It's given to promote justice. It appears to be barbaric in tone. In fact, this law appears not just in the Hebrew Bible, but it's also a law of the ancient world and is often referred to as the law of Hammurabi, a Babylonian king. But this law is misused when it is perceived as a license for revenge. Now, if someone wrongs you, it's easy to think to yourself, they need to learn a lesson and I'm just the right person to teach them. And rather than seeking equitable retribution, you up the ante to make it hurt even more. Now, this happens all the time when lawsuits are filed for millions of dollars and damages to the victim when only thousands of dollars was actually inflicted. But this is not a godfather law where vengeance is taken into our own hands. It's not a law where an eye was taken, and you get to take someone's life for it. That's a warmonger mentality where we justify our actions thinking, well, you've taken one of mine, so I'll take a hundred of yours. No, this law was given to prevent more violence. It was given as an equalizer for the victim. 
The punishment should not exceed the crime, nor should it undercompensate for it. But it's also worth noting that this wasn't just to be taken literally either. The disputes that took place amongst the Israelites were often settled amongst the elders of Israel, and a judge would administer justice before them, which most often was found in the form of financial compensation for the crime. So the context of the law was to provide proportionate justice rather than escalating violent revenge. In fact, even in the first century, during Jesus' day, many of the rabbis very clearly taught that such injuries should be compensated fairly to those who were wronged. And this leads us to Jesus' response to this law as he gives us his sermon on the mount. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus has a very different interpretation of the law, doesn't he? Now, I have to be honest with you. (laughs) Christians squirm when they hear these words from Jesus. We like potlucks. We like dressing up for Easter. We like infant baptisms. We like weddings. Uh, We love Christmas. But these words, these words, They can't be Christian, can they? I mean, Jesus takes the law of Exodus to a much deeper and higher level from proportionate retribution to no retaliation at all. So is Jesus asking us to be doormats in the face of those who seek to harm or inflict evil upon us? Is that what he's getting at? Now, it may appear to us that way, but I believe that's not at all what Jesus is trying to say to us. In fact, it's probably best to interpret, do not resist an evil person as, do not even try to get revenge with with an evil person, or do not try to get even with them. Jesus is taking the law that they know, and he's taking it to a much higher and deeper level of righteousness. If they want to follow Jesus, they must live differently. Now, I think it's important for us to know that Jesus is speaking about personal relationships here. He is not advocating anything against civil law, nor is he trying to get rid of the government's justice system. You see, our passage in Exodus reminds us of communal law, and God put that in place for the community. And we recognize and affirm that God is a God of justice, but God is also a God of love. And in fact, if you read in the Old Testament, there were times that God commanded Israel to fight against other nations. So to interpret these words as a simple act of pacifism, or to imply that Jesus is saying that the evil of Nazi Germany should have been resisted is not what is being said here. For his examples, you see, are of personal situations between people and people, about being insulted, about being sued in court, 
about being exploited and even giving to those who ask for help. So Jesus commands us to turn the other cheek. You see, it wasn't uncommon for someone to be rebuked and slapped in the face. Backhanding someone was an, in, was an insult like no other. It denied someone's very dignity. And we know that no one likes to be insulted. And today it's easier more than ever to hurl insults at one another without actually throwing fists. I mean, truth be told, social media has become the bully's pulpit for slapping one another. And when people get slapped, they immediately slap back. Jesus tells us not to. He also says, hand over your coat as well. You see, it was legal to sue someone for their shirt, but it was illegal to take their coat too. Not only would they be naked, they wouldn't have a sleeping blanket for a coat was often used as such. Essentially, it would deprive the person of the standard of comforts and provisions that they should have. But Jesus says, give them everything. He also says you should go with them two miles. Now, Roman soldiers occupying the land had the legal right to force civilians to carry military gear for them up to one mile. It kind of reminds me in the the story of the Gospels about Simon from Cyrene, who was forced by a Roman soldier soldier to carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way to Golgotha because Jesus wasn't strong enough and able to. Jesus says that rather than invoking our legal right to stop at one mile, that we should offer to go one more. And finally, he says, give. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He doesn't give us permission to charge interest or to even expect repayment from someone. He doesn't say that we should interrogate them before we give to them or that we should give whatever they ask for either. Instead, he says that we are to give in some way. All four of these responses are radical responses. It's not the norm for any of us when we have been wronged. Remember, we like revenge, not mercy. Well, truthfully, we like God to be merciful towards us, but to invoke justice against those who do wrong to us. But we must remember We serve a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus embodied this. He didn't retaliate or seek revenge, and he calls us to do the same. He doesn't ask us to fight fire with fire, but to extinguish it with holy water. And this holy water is our radical response to injustice that follows Jesus' lead. This is not a passive way forward. In fact, it's proactive. It's proactive by countering evil with good. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did on the cross for us? And the good news is that the cross isn't the end of the story, for Easter reminds us that evil is defeated in his resurrection from the grave. You see, there's nothing wrong with wanting justice. The problem is when we let our egos get in the way. So often retaliation and revenge is about proving our strength or flexing our muscles or proving that we're somehow superior to the other person. 
It's more about proving something, making an example out of someone rather than seeking what is right. You see, resisting evil doesn't overcome evil. In fact, it fuels its fire. And Jesus knows this, and he shows us a different way. But I say to you, do not even try to get even with an evil person. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Vengeance is not mine, and vengeance is not yours. It's God's. And one day, on the last day, God will administer justice. But until then, we are called to overcome evil with good. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Why? Because we're called to be different than the rest of the world. Why? That we might be children of our Father in heaven who is perfect Thus Jesus commands us, saying, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, it was easy for me to strike back and bust the bully's nose. But what would have happened if I had resisted and I had told him to throw the ball at me in my stomach too? What would he have done I think that it would have dismantled his power over me and it would have made him look foolish. You see, this is how we break the cycle of evil just as Jesus does for us. As we imitate Jesus together, we exhibit the kingdom of heaven on earth that reverses injustice by overcoming evil with good, with grace, with compassion, with abundant mercy with God's love. Friends, my prayer is that we might do this together as God's church, not on our own. Because if we try to do it on our own, we will fail miserably. But by God's help. For Jesus is not going to call us to be perfect if that is not what we are already in his eyes through what he's done for us. And he's not going to allow us a lack of ability to follow his lead. So friends, with God's help, may we do so together as we seek to be children of our Father in heaven. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.